You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Mike Zani. He is CEO at the Predictive Index. We're going to talk a little bit about talent, about talent strategy, about talent optimization. We're also going to hear the story of how Mike got involved with PI, interesting background in terms of having worked with the organization and now running it, and the work that they're doing to really scale up their business and then working with companies that are looking to scale up their businesses by looking at talent and talent strategy. And full disclosure, I am a Predictive Index partner as well. So I've used the tools quite a bit in my coaching practice and the work that I do with companies. And I love it for many reasons, which we'll talk about, but a great tool set and some great science under it. So this should be a really interesting conversation for our listeners who are in service companies looking to grow and scale and struggle with talent. You know, how do we design the talent strategy? How do we recruit people? How do we onboard? How do we manage performance? How do we get success inside of our organizations when they're talent-based? This is going to be a really fascinating and I think effective conversation for folks. So I'm excited for this. With that, Mike, welcome to the program. Bruce, thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah. So let's do the backstory. So tell us a little bit about how you got involved in PI, what your professional background was. There's some great pieces that I would love the audience to kind of understand what got you here today. But give us the background. How do you get involved with PI? Well, my business partner, Daniel, who's the president and functioning as chief operating officer, he and I met at business school and we started doing what's called a search fund which is the untechnical description is buying used companies with other people's money. Yeah. So we got, we got out of business school, snot-nosed kids thought we knew everything, and we knew enough about strategy to come up with a plan for a company to buy. We knew enough about finance to know how much to pay for it. We, we had a good enough network to raise the equity we needed and the debt. But when we bought the first company in 2004, and we showed up on day one saying, we're your new owners, we're your new managers, you know, 45 sets of blinking eyes looking at us. We were ridiculously in trouble on the (laughs) talent side of things, on the good old fashioned, how do we manage these people? And we quickly realized the 45 people that were there might have been good for the last owner's strategy. But with our new strategy, we had completely the wrong team in place. So as I like to say, you know, every CEO has a strategy, you know, most have a financial plan, but tragically few actually have a talent plan to underpin the whole thing. So we bought this first company and um, we actually, we ran into the predictive index in 2006 and we were clients, Mm -hmm. we were loyal clients. We were maybe, you know, top 1% clients. We really got into it. And And how did, how did you get involved with it? Was this, it was something that was in place Is something that you sought out? I mean, what was that? How did that relationship start? My wife did some consulting using psychometric tools like the MBTI. So I, I had a propensity for assessments and psychometrics. But my Vistage chair, I was a member of the Vistage organization. Sure. And the Vistage 
chair gave me a predictive index behavioral assessment in paper format. I didn't even know I filled it out. It was just one of the forms. Back in 06, you still filled out forms. Yeah, exactly. And I walk into my first Vistage meeting, and one of my peers introduced me using the results of my predictive index. And he went on for 10 minutes. And I was like, how's this guy going to introduce me? He doesn't know me. And then he proceeds to introduce me behaviorally to my 15 new peers. And I, I felt naked. I was like, who is this guy? And did he call my mother? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> who did and he talk to? Who did he talk to? And afterward, I walked up to the chair. I said, what, what just happened to me? And what was that? And he says, oh, this tool that a lot of us use in here, it's called the Predictive Index. It helps you understand people better. I go, that was weirdly eerie. Mm-hmm. Um, there are things that he said about me that I wouldn't tell my friend, you know, like that's a thing that I do that I'm not proud of. So the implications were like, boom, they just hit me. They said, we need to adopt this tool. So I went back to Daniel and says, we, we got to, we got to get into this thing. So that's how, that's how we ran into it. Mm-hmm. And so you use, you use this in a company that you had bought and were managing and, and, and operating and, and generally successful. I mean, you saw good results in terms of what it allowed you to do in terms of building out the talent base for the company? It did. So we, we had this, uh, we bought this manufacturer with 8 million in revenue, brought it up to 35 million in revenue in five years, mm-hmm. completely retooled the team. Of those 45 people, only four made it, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But you know, we had a 130-person team, sold the company, had a great return for our investors, and mm-hmm. Daniel and I were going to go do it again. Yeah. So in 2009, when we sold that first company, we tried to buy the Predictive Index, and we pitched the, the founding family mm-hmm. and the, uh, the chairman of the board, and we got really close, but they said no. Mm-hmm. But fortunately, five years later, 2014, everyone in the family had passed, tragically, yeah. but the fortunate part was the trustee said they wanted you and Daniel to, to have the company and be the yeah. next owners. So if you want to buy it still, mm-hmm. here it is. Yeah. It's funny how those things kind of turn around. You know, the deal, deals that fall through sometimes come back and boomerang and for you. I think what, what it was, was the dad, Arnold Daniels, the founder who founded the company back in 1955, was a passionate guy. Yeah. He built this tool not to be rich, but because he it was the right thing to do. And the family... Uh, was romantically involved with this thing. And they knew that Daniel and I loved loved the company. We loved the product and we would be good stewards for it going forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the, the case. A lot of those family businesses, you know, is it, it does end up becoming, you know, kind of part of the family identity. And, uh, you know, certainly having worked with a lot of family companies, you know, that just dis- disentangling that or, or coming up with a vision for that that allows it to grow and, and scale is, is part of the process before you can actually apply the strategy and actually start. So off. Yeah. So yeah. off. Yeah. So let's talk about look, just what is predictive index. And like when we talk about assessments, give us just, you know, explain to the audience here, what are we actually talking Talking about in terms of tools that we're using. There's a suite of psychometric tools that underpin everything, you know, scientifically validated tools. And most people on this planet do not want to know the science. They, they're like, please hide the science from me. And our software platform does that. It, it under, science underpins everything, but really we, we have a software platform that gives you insights into people, into teams, into jobs, uh, into strategies. And we surface that data so that managers and HR practitioners and people in the C-suite can use it in their time of need. Now, talent optimization, which is what we call it, is pretty new. So we also, we work through a value-added partner network, you know, over 450 strong, of which you you are one. Mm -hmm. And thank you for 
being a champion of the predictive index. And they bring it to light within organizations. Because I really only think one out of 10 CEOs would get the aha on their own if I just gave them a login. But it, it's in the presence of you know, you know, talent-focused, value-added you know, consultants and practitioners who can bring it to light and help them see you do have a problem. Your, your people don't match your strategy, or you have too homogenous of a team, or you know, half the people are on wrong roles because this is a family-run business and you, you're not willing to make the tough calls. That is um, that pulled together our software and the services that our our network provides is really the art and science of talent optimization. Yeah, and and in terms of the the assessment itself, I mean, I think one one of the things I I really have uh, found beneficial for, from PIs what it offers, and you know, not only the underlying science and that kind of the analysis, but but the tool sets that it has to take that science and actually apply it to business situations. Cause I think a lot of, I mean, there's a lot of assessments out there and I think, you know, we could, we could rattle off all the acronyms, Thousands. all the, all the, <laughs> all the three letter words, four letter words. Um, but you know, but at the end of the day, you know, you have this assessment or you have this ability to kind of do this reading, but then what do you do with it? And I think so many of them, you know, end up becoming this almost novelty of, Oh, interesting. That's how you are. That's how I am. Maybe it explains or help give some insights in terms of some interactions that we've had and relationships, but in terms of really taking this and looking at how a team is function, how you're designing your roles, how you're designing your strategy, how the business strategy is being executed against like to take that kind of nucleus of, you know, centrometric data and then turn it into tools that I can actually help optimize a company. I think that's a really interesting and quite different. I haven't seen that in other tool sets. How did I guess tell us about how you've how you as a company have kind of created those tools, how that journey has been, like how, how have you defined them, create, I mean, there's a significant software system here. Tell us the story about building that because I'm, I'm sure there was some challenges there. What people miss, what most psychometric tools miss is they don't take it far enough. So if, if you take the Myers-Briggs MBTI or DISC, you're going to learn something about yourself. You could even do an offsite around it and be like, great, that was wonderful. Then you, you file it, usually in the circular file, but <laughs> it's not lasting. The important piece is, is fit. It doesn't mean that you, Bruce, are good or bad with your profile, but you may be a good or bad fit for a certain role. So it's, it's fit for role. It's fit with manager. It's fit with team. It's fit with strategy. You know, it's fit with overall corporate mission. And I'll, I'll give you an extreme example. If you are an incredibly profit-motivated person, like mm -hmm. the more you make, that is your scorecard. Don't work for a not-for-profit. And you should work for an investment bank. If you want to save the world on a mission-driven organization, don't work for an investment <laughs> bank. <laughs> so and I use this extreme example because when you use fit is important. Yeah. But if you can scientifically validate and say, you will be a good fit fit for this role. As a matter of fact, I interviewed Jim Cook, founder of Boston Beer Company, uh, Samuel Adams. He's been a client of the Predictive Index for 25 plus years. This guy, he was a small company back then. So he's interviewing this guy and he has for an accounting role and he had a profile of a salesperson. He said, let's call him Bob. He goes, Bob, why do you want to be an accountant? He goes, well, my dad was an accountant. He told me to go into accounting and you know, you'll always have really good work. He goes, you have a terrible behavioral pattern for an accountant. You must hate accounting. He goes, truth be told, I do. He says, you have a great behavioral profile for a salesperson. Would you consider a sales role at Sam Adams? 
And the guy says, oh, that'd be fantastic. I'd love to do that. So he t- Jim Cook tells me this story. And, you know, 15 years later, he goes, he was an amazing salesperson, you know, went through the ranks, was one of the highest, you know, grossing sales producers. And the idea is Jim Cook was a talent optimizer. Mm-hmm. He saw someone, Bob, who was going to be horrible as an accountant and unhappy and likely churn out of that role or just be bad at it and figured out what role in his organization was his best use case. And we are always searching for fit. So these companies, they leave it short. You know, don't just tell someone, Bob, who you are, but give the data, surface the data to Bob and to the Jim Cooks so that you can make sure that people have a fit with their job, they can fit with their manager, and their managers can actually modify their styles to get the most out of their teams. Make sure that diverse teams know they're diverse, firstly, or when they're not, they're not. But, mm-hmm. And then how to communicate when you are diverse to be inclusive of everybody. And and it also lets the the most senior people in the organization say, are these people a good fit for our strategy? Like when Daniel and I bought Ledco, which was the name of the first company, mm-hmm. and 45 of those people, only four of them made it. That's because they were completely the wrong fit for our new strategy. Well, then talk, let's talk about that because I think it's a really interesting uh, concept. And I don't think many leaders, certainly when I talk with CEOs and we're working on business strategy and, and building out leadership teams to executing on that, they never had really thought about the idea that, well, depending on my strategy, I might need a different team. What are those variables or what are, how do different strategies necessitate different talent strategies in terms of um, like who are you going to put on the ground or who are you going to put in the company to execute on this? Well, why, why do you have these differences and what are some of those differences? Well, let me give you, uh, you know, an example of um, a regional bank here in New England. Mm-hmm. You know, there are, um, you know, banks that you know, have the name of some town, you know, savings and trust. You know, we don't need to look very far to realize banking has changed a lot in the last 10 years. You, you look at a Capital One commercial and some handsome guy tells you that you now have to go to a cafe, not to a bank. So the banking has changed. We know this. But the regional banks, you know, don't have the financial wherewithal to do what Capital One does to reinvent themselves. So I was talking to the CEO of a bank. And if you think about banks, they are very conservative. You know, the promise is we're not going to lose your money. We're going to make loans, but only safe loans. And we're only going to make four or five percent on that money. But the promise is we're going to give you your savings back at the end of the day. You know, FDIC insured, very conservative. When this bank needed to reinvent themselves, they got a new logo, they got a new name, but their entire senior team was designed to be safe, to not ruffle, you know, not rock the boat. After two years of trying to rebrand themselves and reinvent themselves, you know, I asked the CEO, I'm like, how's it going? He's like, it's going terribly. We have a new logo, we have new colors, <laughs> we have a new name, but nothing's changed. Yeah. And you look at his senior team and they, you're like, this senior team is not going to change. You either, either need to change your strategy yeah. or you need to change the people who are executing that strategy. Because these bankers were happy coming in every day and doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. So it's not easy to get a, the CEO of a bank. And he's like, what would you do? I'm like, it depends. If you want to go fast, I would fire and replace. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to take a while, I would train, augment, stretch and cajole to get them to do it. But that's going to take, you know, one you could do in 18 months. The other will take five years. And with questionable success. <laughs> yeah. And, and most people will model in the middle. They, yeah. you know, they, they might fire one person. They might do one token L&D. Yeah. 
learning and development for those not in the HR space. Yeah. So the muddle in the middle is always a failure. Yeah. The futon problem. Semi-comfortable bed, semi-comfortable couch, but not very good for either. <laughs> yes. It never. Yeah. That's a funny one. Thank you. I'm going to remember that. Yeah. And, and I think it's interesting because I think that, um, you know, most leaders don't think about that. They just don't think about that their talent, who they choose to bring in the organization is going to have a huge impact on the success of execution of the strategy. Because I think a lot of it is just, well, if I just get good people, if I just find, if I build a good culture and I get good people, well, that's all I really need. But it's actually more complicated than that. And it can be more precise than that. But you need these tools, right? You need to really have this underlying ability to kind of know how people are wired and know who people, how, how they're going to show up in given situations. And is that what you need, given what you're trying to execute? So if most most of our leaders ran their businesses like they would run their fantasy sports teams, we wouldn't have a problem. <laughs> and it's because if I gave you a team that was a running team, yeah. you would not run a passing offense. Yeah. And if I gave you a passing offense, you know, and let's just say you're like, great, we better score 45 points. You know, like you can't take your running strategy and apply it to a passing team and you can't take your passing strategy and apply it to a running team. And, you know, great coaches modify their strategy. I think many will say that, you know, Bill Belichick, I imagine after losing Tom Brady, he's going to have a different strategy for his quarterback this year than he has had in, in previous years. Sure. And of course, everyone's going to say, duh. And you said, but business leaders, I go back to the bank and say, he was trying to run a passing strategy with a bunch of, you know, with a running team. And two years later, he goes, this isn't working. And you go, of course, it's not working. So effectively, tools like the predictive index are that, you know, the data and analytics, it's the saber metrics for business. It's the money ball for business. It gives, it gives the C-suite, it gives the strategic HR people tools to say, do we have the right team? Do we have the right fit for strategy and yeah. other? And, and let's talk a little bit about the um, kind of role description process, because I think the other thing that I find in organizations is that, you know, from a hiring point of view, if I'm lucky, <laughs> I, I see them having some kind of job description before they start interviewing. <laughs> That's not always the case. But, you know, there's some kind of, oh, okay, it's here. Here's here's the role. Here's what we're looking for. Kind of here's the task, here's the responsibilities. But once you have uh, tools like PI, like you have the ability to actually define that role in terms of behavioral characteristics, meaning what behavioral capabilities, what behavioral tendencies do you want in that role to be successful, which now changes the game. You basically invert the process to say, what is the profile that would be best in this? Talk to me a little bit about how you've come up with and, and how you approach kind of the role definition, the, the process for defining what the target should be for a given role. How do you create that? And then how do you use that once you have it in PI? Oh, that, that's a great question. And most really is two people said, great, you just said fit. How do I know what it's a fit for? Mm -hmm. So we built, again, a, a psychometric assessment. And it's not for the person, it's for the job. So people who are familiar with that role, maybe it's someone in HR, maybe it's the manager of that job, maybe it's someone who's in that job who's really good at it, say, what are the behavioral requirements for this role? And what it does is gives you a master profile of what are the behavioral requirements of this job. And getting back to the Jim Cook example, you know, an accountant, lots of attention to detail, lots of process, doing things repeatedly the same way, accurately, making sure that you do things in the right order. You're not trying to reinvent accounting. There are things like generally accepted accounting practices or GAP mm -hmm. that have already been defined. You're not trying to, no one's going to let you reinvent GAP that yes. doesn't work. <laughs> Whereas if you think about the sales role that they put that guy we called Bob into, 
it's about trying new approaches. Yeah. It's it's about uh, each prospect having different needs and exploring those needs. It's about failing a lot. You know, not every sales call ends in a close. So you have to pick yourself up, dust yourself off and do it again. And there's there's less process, there's less structure, there's more need for risk. And what you end up doing is when candidates come in, say, Bruce, you applied for a job that we would look at your behavioral profile and say, would you be a good fit for the role that you're applying for? Mm -hmm. Or if you work for our company already and we're thinking of promoting you into a new project or maybe a new position, say, are you a good fit for where we're going to put you so you can be successful? And that job assessment is really critical to give you that benchmark baseline of what you're looking for. And some roles, I picked accounting and sales, are pretty clear. There are roles like product, product development, which are very open. You can be successful in product development with almost any behavioral pattern, but you may not like the team you're on. So what's more important is to find out how are you going to fit in with the team of people who are here? Yeah. yeah, it's interesting. I used to do this exercise before I really got involved in PI with um, CEOs and we're kind of working through their leadership team. And I, I would have them hypothetically fire everyone on their leadership team and and hire new idealized people. And we would go through the exercise of defining what those people would be. It's like, okay, well, Barbara would be my head of sales and this, she, this is what she would be doing. And Frank would be my CFO and this is what they would be doing. You know, just kind of come up with the idealized roles. And then we would say, okay, now... Who do we have on your leadership team who fits those roles well? And do we have do we have the right people in general? Do we have the right people but in the wrong seats? Do we need to move these things around? Or do we have, you know, we have a mismatch on the role that you have and the ideal profile? And what do we want to do about it? Do we want to develop? Do we want to switch roles? Do we want to promote someone internally? Do we want to look outside? But until we had that idealized version, the idealized role definition, you're always kind of dealing with this, oh, this person isn't perfect, but they're good enough. Once you have that, once you have that clear sense of this is what I really want in that role, all the decisions become much easier and much clearer because you basically you just it's like, do they fit the role or not? And and are they close enough? And do I know what that gap is? Am I willing to live with that gap or not? And what I love about PI when I started using it is it, it just makes that all very data-driven. It's easy to create that profile. It's easy to create that target. The questions that get asked are easy to kind of answer and develop that. And then once you have that profile, it's, it's amazing to have that score, that ability to say, here's the role we're trying to fill. Here are the 50 candidates we we have, here's a rank order based on uh, which profiles are best fit for the role based on the way we've defined it. That, I think, is one of the more powerful things that I've seen in the, in the PI system. It can be very powerful. And the next, the sort of, you know, the ninja master move beyond that is if you have a role that is very clear, you can actually use language in your job description to attract that type of person. You know, get back to the accountant. You're like, do you like structure? Do you like process? Do you like making sure everything is perfect? You know, like, then this is the company for you. And as opposed to if you gave that to a salesperson, you know, the the sales role, it's, you know, (laughs) do you like to run and gun? Do you like to run with eagles? You know, like our tools give people suggested language for job descriptions to weave into to attract the top of their recruiting funnel. Well, and it's, it's, and it's great because I think one of the problems that I, or strategic problems I think people have had with recruiting is they try to attack everyone. They try to appeal to everyone. So they get everyone applying and now they have to sort through everything. In, in this approach, 
you're basically saying, I don't want everyone. I actually want to repel a whole bunch of people who I knew are not a good fit. That's right. And I want to attract then just the people that I that are going to match this. And I'm going to le- potentially get less applicants, but I'm going to get much better applicants based right. on the role that I'm trying to fill. That's right. And, and usually you have one person in companies, you know, under 200 people, you have one person writing the job descriptions and they write job descriptions that they would like. <laughs> so so now you have you have this person, call him John. John's like, that's a perfect, that's a perfect job description. And you're like, well, for you, <laughs> it is funny what we unintentionally do. You told me a little bit about your audience, yeah. you know, really scaling service-based mm-hmm. entities. And I think something that's very unique that most people don't get about the predictive index, we've sort of, we headquarters are the, you know, we're, we validate the science, we build the software, we're the curators and holders of the intellectual property. But it's our 450 partners, which represent about a thousand people who actually deliver on the promise. And the idea that these people come, they're strategic HR people or they're management consultants that take a, have a people centricity or some of them are executive coaches or recruiters. But we couldn't do what we do without them. You know, they bring it to life within organizations. They have the tough conversations with the bank CEO mm-hmm. or the Jim Cooks of the world to teach them how to use these tools, to teach them about fit. And, um, you know, we've really developed a, a scalable engine to when we bought the company five and a half years ago, there were 47 certified partners. And now there are over 450. And how do you find someone that has a propensity for talent, then teach them talent optimization? And some of them may come quickly to this because they were already there. Mm-hmm. Like yourself, being a coach, you were, you were already a talent optimizer. You may not have called yourself that, but you're already there. Yeah, exactly. And our value proposition to someone like yourself is we're just giving you tools and data and in ideally a recurring, more recurring revenue stream with mm-hmm. the software product. But I think it's a really interesting model on how to scale through a network. And a few companies do it. HubSpot has you know a network of 4,000 certified HubSpot practitioners who deliver on HubSpot. And Salesforce has certified Salesforce practitioners. And in the day, Microsoft had a network of Microsoft authorized integrators. Mm-hmm. But most people don't think of a model like ours. Yeah. Do you think that's a trend? I mean, I just kind of the way that world is going these days and the nature of employment and kind of the gig economy. Is this, I guess, how much of this was just you looking at your own business model and seeing that that was going to be a really efficient way to do it? And how much was you reading the tea leaves of kind of the future of employment and the economy and seeing that this was going to be a more successful way of scaling the business? I think if you're a startup today and you looked at your investors in the eye and or your board and told them that you wanted to give a huge piece of your gross revenue to your network, most of those investors would laugh at you. They're like, why would you give that much away to your partner network? And you're like, if you don't give enough away, they can't create a business around something, which means they might dabble in it, but they're not going to really invest in it. So I think it's it's the question of like, you have to be willing to share to make a bigger pie. And some companies get it and it fits their model. And, you know, some companies don't. And you take a very famous company right now, Slack. Mm -hmm. Their product is so easy to understand. You don't need Slack consultants. (laughs) But you do have Slack experts in your company that hopefully share best practices on Slack and they play administrative roles. But on complicated products, like managing your entire talent strategy or managing, in HubSpot's case, managing your entire marketing strategy, you do need consultants. Because if you try and do it on your own, 
you'll do an okay job, not a great job. And that's why some firms will realize to invest in a channel, to invest in something really scalable that gives you great leverage. I mean, we have partners in Brazil, South Africa, South Korea. You know, how would we as the predictive index in Boston, you know, manage accounts in South Korea, you know, 12 hour time zone away, a very foreign language, very foreign culture. The answer is we we just wouldn't be able to do that without our partners. Yeah, that makes sense. And I I would love to see your activity fit map (laughs) in terms of your your core capabilities and how you've gotten to that. Because it's very clear that you've chosen to double down on a handful of things that you do exceptionally well uh, and create value there and then find other ways to you know handle those other things outside the organization and not get too caught up in trying to control everything because I think that's one of the challenges particularly in a growth mode you know when you're dealing with an industry you know a market which is you know growing quickly you know if you try to control too many things you're just not going to get the penetration and the growth that you need to be successful and you're unfortunately you're going to lose you're going to lose the game ultimately if you're not you're not playing that right so it was a smart strategy. There is a control issue. You know, it's yeah. if you rely on a channel, we've structured our channel to be independent contractors. You know, they're independent agents. Mm-hmm. We don't control them. You know, if we wanted control, we could be a franchise mm-hmm. like a McDonald's or Subway where you dictate the colors and the uniforms and the menu and the pricing. We suggest, you know, here's some suggested best practices. Here's what's working for other people. There is a huge leap of faith of giving up control and you have to be okay with that. Yeah. And we learn as much from our channel partners as they learn from us because you're like, wow, that was a really great idea. We're going to try and build that into the software. Thank you for that. Yeah, it's a great model. I've, I personally have enjoyed it. So thank you. <laughs> But I think it's a, good, it's a good strategy for for this whole kind of world of talent optimization, which I think is still evolving and still kind of defining, and I think will flourish a lot in the next 10, 15 years. So I think it's a good position to be in. Thank you for those kind words. We do have one of the most important things that we do with our network of partners is help them be better business people. And it's not that they're bad business people. Some of them have incredible skills. They may not be balanced, but you know, some people have not used a retainer. You know, how do you teach someone what are best practices for a retainer? Or here's a data privacy agreement. You know, you should be using one in this world of data and privacy. So we are in fact pushing that pretty hard on how to help our partners just just be better business people to the extent that we can. Mike, this has been a pleasure. Thank you so much for taking time. If people want to find out more about PI, want to learn more about the tools, software, capabilities, what's the best way to get that information? Predictiveindex.com. And uh, if anyone wants to take our behavioral assessment, they can use my, uh, there is Try PI. There's a Try PI button on our homepage there. And uh, they can take our behavioral assessment. And if they're interested in becoming a partner, to just look at the on the tab up, up top, if you have interest in becoming a PI certified partner, we would gladly entertain those discussions and talk about the economics and and uh, see if it's a help you see if it's a good fit for for your to augment your current practice. Yeah, but uh, make sure that those links are in the show notes so people can click on those and get those directly. Mike, this has been a pleasure. Thank you for the conversation. Great. Like I said in the beginning, this is, you know, talent, I think is an underutilized strategic tool in business. And I think, you know, PI is to provide some great tool sets for, for being able to look at that and use data to make better decisions around that, which I think is key. So I appreciate your time today. It was a great conversation. Bruce, thank you for being a partner of ours. Thank you for being a great host. Thank you for inviting me on your show. And And I hope your audience got a little bit out of this. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. 
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.